From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Speaking on the issues that impact, this is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, folks, welcome, welcome to the broadcast. It's a beautiful Thursday. Wherever you are in the world, we appreciate your listenership and also your viewership. If you're listening on the live audio streams, welcome once again. Hello to everybody in the TNT chat room, our community building up there once again to a very strong peak this week. And also hello to everybody on the live video streams as well. If you're listening on uh, YouTube or you're watching on Rumble as well, there's lots of different options now for TNT, live and technical. So appreciate all of you guys out there in our viewers community, which is growing by the week, uh, looking at the numbers. So appreciate that. Now, we're going to be delving into the Middle East in the first hour. We're going to join with our guest, Basil Valentine. He's our roving correspondent for many things, but keeping a keen eye on the situation in the Middle East. There's a lot of breaking news, a lot of developments. Politically, we'll talk about that as well. It looks like, well, the bottom's falling out of the narrative. Uh, we'll explain why uh, when we hook up with Basil as well. Second hour, we're going to be joined by our research assistant for the show, Christian James, who's always got the best nuggets, always the best nuggets. Christian's going to be sharing with us some of those interesting news stories and things that aren't being covered. The battle for free speech and censorship online is very real, uh, and there's no other place I think that you I would consider to be the front line of that battle than the United Kingdom. So we'll talk to Christian about that, plus a few other important stories as well. So we'll look forward to that in the second hour. Now, we talked about it yesterday, day before, and when I announced that, uh, yeah, when we were in Washington, D.C., and Zelensky was there with the begging bowl, uh, asking for cash, asking for money. And the the, the trip was a bit cringeworthy. Uh, probably the worst was his appearance on Fox News. And Zelensky goes on with, I think it was Brett Baer, special report with Brett Baer. Had Zelensky on with his jumper, uh, with the sort of, I don't know, what is that, a trident, the Ukrainian symbol or whatever, still wearing the T-shirt, still got the, the jumper. And so he's doing his sort of fundraising tour. This is the, really the last cash call. Uh, when we spoke to Joaquin Flores from the New Resistance on Monday, if you managed to catch that conversation, it was great. But that's where we're calling it, the D.C. Uh, last cash call for Zelensky. So he was touting some interesting numbers on fox so he's in studio on fox this is a full fundraising campaign for Zelensky, and he's basically contradicting a lot of the numbers and statements coming out of his own government when he's on us tv it's not a very good look now if it was joe biden we're critiquing on things like this people would give him a free pass because as you know not it's not all happening up there but Zelensky's young and spry apparently got his wits about him so supposedly uh so he so he's claiming that russian troops have failed to capture a single village from kiev's forces this year in 2023 and actually if you look at the battle maps nothing could be further from the truth uh, Zelensky also was boasting about all his military achievements uh along the front line saying how great the war is going we're winning we just need a few more weapons and a couple of billion this month and maybe a few more billion next month and the month after and the month after that, and we're going to defeat Moscow. Don't you worry, America. Zelensky has got it all under control. And so he's visiting Washington, trying to secure something like $100 billion, roughly. House is running into problems. I'll explain why in a minute. So, but, but all this talk, you remember when there was this ousting of Kevin McCarthy, it wasn't that long ago, it was a couple of months ago and in comes in the new speaker of the house, Mr. Johnson. Uh, and then the situation Israel kicks off. Everybody's getting sort of diverted onto that story uh, as is the talk of finance, money and aid and ammunition, all of it d diverted to Israel. So while all that was happening, um, there was talk that the Republicans weren't keen on funding the Ukraine, sending our cash to the Ukraine. But what's happened this week is just the opposite. They, all of the Republicans, there's a GOP so-called conservative consensus for Ukraine. So with all that 
drama, high drama with Matt Gates pulling pulling the special caveat for the speaker and forcing the vote. And then they went through this whole leadership rigmarole. It lasted, I think it was two weeks in total. It was going to be Jim Jordan, then it's not. And we ended up with Johnson. So Senate GOP's lead negotiator is demanding a deal to fund Ukraine. So you've got him. You've got Speaker Johnson. He wants a deal to fund Ukraine, fully fund Ukraine. And so where is this GOP uh, supposed talking point that uh, we don't want to send our money off to Ukraine? We need to take care of uh, stuff at home. You remember hearing all of this? It's a very popular talking point. But like when it really comes down to the crunch this week, you can see that that's not the case. And so here's uh, Senator James Langford. He's saying, we, the United States of America, we can do two things at once. We need to be able to secure our own border. But, says Senator Langford, uh, we need to also put Ukraine back on the front of our priority list in the fight against Putin. And we must make sure our border is secure first. So he says we can do both. So that wasn't the... Uh, that wasn't the script a couple of weeks ago, but here we go. When it comes to overseas wars, there's always money available. And this is the problem. So Langford, so Oklahoma, Senator. So these are the guys, Sheldon Whitehouse, James Langford. These aren't the big names in the Senate, but these are the ones pushing the money into the military industrial complex and making sure that we keep these wars going overseas. Behind them are people like Mike Pompeo, okay? He is basically the Dick Cheney, the eminence Gris, the dark prince behind the scenes there, that Mike Pompeo is playing that role uh, right now. So th these are the real movers and the shakers. You just look at the Armed Services Committee. On the Democratic side, they had people like Bob Menendez. He's on hot water right now. Those That's the sort of left-wing war hawk. Uh, guaranteed to support Israel at every front, guaranteed to ship weapons to Ukraine on every front. So Republican, James Langford, there's another one, the Speaker of the House. So, so basically it's almost worse than when McCarthy was Speaker. So there might be a slight difference on the domestic front, maybe, but not much difference. I'm talking about international now. Domestically, the Hunter Biden thing has blown up this week. That's interesting. Looks like there's going to be an impeachment inquiry. That's going to happen. It would have happened earlier if the things didn't happen in Gaza the way they did over the last eight weeks, but that's the way the, the world ro rolls. Uh, so Hunter Biden basically didn't show up uh, to his hearing. And so he, what does he do? He doesn't show. I think that's contempt of court, if I'm not mistaken. He's held in contempt. Goes and does a speech on the steps in front of the uh, federal building in Washington. It's trying to go like direct to the people. It was a total flop. It was a bomb. I don't know what he was expecting, but so the high, the high drama is in play right now in Washington around the Bidens. So this is not looking good. This is not looking good. So what's Joe doing? Well, we'll talk to Basil Valentine about the sort of walkbacks now, desperate walkbacks by the US president, the administration over their support for Israel Walk back from the British foreign minister, David Cameron, on this issue as well. They're pulling back to CNN is basically now changed their coverage. Listen, let me just tell you about that canary in the coal mine. When CNN starts reporting facts, in other words, when CNN can no longer hold the dam of, of propaganda and fake news, in this case, they've been holding the line for the U.S. government, for Benjamin Netanyahu, and the military industrial complex. And that now they can't take it anymore because their, their ratings are plummeting. They're getting hate mail. People are calling them frauds. They're calling their journalistic uh, endeavors to be complete frauds and, prop and propaganda. And now they're having to actually report facts. So it looks like if CNN's doing a U-turn on Israel, which they're saying there's no safe place in Gaza, this is a crime against humanity, they got their film crew unmolested into gaza and they're they're now filming the horror of it so imagine if that was happening seven weeks ago continuously how long would this bombardment be going not that long okay
this whole farrago, this whole facade of Israel and the whole October 7th narrative, it all depends on one thing, a mainstream media blackout of Gaza and what's actually happening there. They've been focusing for eight weeks on Israel and Israeli victims and so forth. Meanwhile, tens of thousands of people are getting mowed down, literally, with U.S. bombs in Gaza. Okay, that's genocide by anyone's definition. Now, finally, the penny drops. Finally, the penny drops. But we were telling you this eight weeks ago, and we were right. And everybody who was telling you otherwise, they were wrong. We'll just leave it there for the moment. Let's take a break here with TNT, today's news talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Stick around. We'll be right back with our friend Basil Valentine and more on the other side. Stay right there. TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And, and I... I, I can say, you know, you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food. There's nothing to eat in there. I very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places. And if you go into the supermarket, there's only the first two aisles that have got real food. The rest, it, it's not food. And I see what people buy. I've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys, not them. Don't get all excited. But I have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying. And it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like. And your teenagers' brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. Division Council and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at, and then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is gonna be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. Website TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's news talk radio. It's the coolest. TNT. All right, we're back. This is our number one. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. You're listening to TNT. Today's news talk. You might also be watching TNT on our live streams. You can catch us on YouTube on the live stream if you want to see all this in full color in HD in all of its glory and also on Rumble as well. Other channels as well will be streaming on too. If we're not already, we'll announce those later in the program uh joined right now by our roving correspondent trusted political analyst and cohort basil valentine's joining us on the live link right now from the beautiful shores of albion uh just opposite uh the french coast south coast of england basil how are you doing very well thank you patrick good to be with you and uh hello to all our listeners and viewers now all over the world now that we are TNT Radio Vision. Basil, uh, I am shocked and I'm appalled uh, to see David Cameron back in the cabinet, but, 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 but he has shocked everybody today. This is our uh, foreign minister who's not in the House of Commons. I know it's strange. He's not an MP. 
He's hiding in the Lord's. So he's opining from the Lord. So Twitter is his friend. Twitter is his best friend now as the new foreign minister. David Cameron himself, he of the Bullingdon Club, I'll leave it there. We won't go any further. Uh, is what Cameron says. I'll read this to you. Tell me if you're equally as shocked as I am to see this on social media this morning. Extremist settlers by targeting and killing Palestinian civilians are undermining security and stability for both the Israelis and the Palestinians. Israel must take stronger action to stop settler violence and hold the perpetrators accountable. We are banning those responsible for settler violence from entering the UK to make sure our country cannot be a home for people who commit these intimidating acts. I, I honestly had to do a double take, Basil. I couldn't believe this is being written not only by David Cameron, but by a British foreign secretary. Your thoughts? Um, intimidating acts. That's an interesting choice of words, isn't it? Uh, something like 300 Palestinians have been murdered by settlers in conjunction with the IDF since October the 7th. And of course, hundreds more were murdered before October the 7th. So intimidating acts is still something of a euphemism. Uh, but of course, this is a, a step in the right direction. I mean, any kind of rebuke for uh, the worst excesses of violence committed by the Israeli state and its shock troops in the West Bank, because that's effectively what the settlers are. They're really sort of advanced shock troops. Um, they shouldn't really be seen as differing in any way from the makeup of the Netanyahu cabinet, which includes representatives of settler parties, political parties. So... You know, this is obviously welcome and the uh, ban on them entering the UK is welcome. It follows what the United States did, which is to say they would refuse visas. I'm not sure whether it's to people who are uh, proven already to be guilty of such acts, because, of course, the Israeli courts work very much in favour of settlers or whether uh, people simply from certain settlements or associated with groups or whatever are banned who knows but i don't think any of those people really have any intention of traveling certainly to the united kingdom anyway you know they, they are all about conquest and grabbing land and you can't do that if you're on holiday in britain so it's just you know somewhat meaningless sort of rebuke cameron has also said today um that he found Zippy Hotovelli's uh, comment to Mark Austin, I don't know if you saw, um, that uh, absolutely no to a Palestinian state, she said. Absolutely mm -hmm. no. Uh, which Cameron described as disappointing. Okay? You know what they're like with diplomats, Patrick. Choice of The exact choice of word is very important. So that apparently is disappointing. Um no, it's not disappointing to Ron DeSantis, who uh, I saw has described a two-state solution as a step towards the destruction of Israel. I'm not quite sure how he worked that one out. What solution um, does Ron DeSantis uh, want? Uh, does he want a no-state solution or just no Palestinians anymore? I think probably the latter. Yeah, right. I think. Yeah, or, the, or, or, you know. Or so he wants a final solution. So, so yeah. Ron DeSantis wants a final solution, right? Or apartheid. I mean, basically... Or, or apartheid, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, you've got sort of four options on the table. One is a single, non-religious, non-racist state covering the whole of historic Palestine, one person, one vote, equal human rights for all. So a normal that country. A normal country. A, a normal country. So that's option one is a normal country. And, and this is the one that everybody's afraid of, by the way. But I digress. Right. What's I'm option not afraid two? of it. What's option, option two? two is, option two is the two-state solution, which is um, Israel, but on which borders, and likewise Palestine, but which territory, um, based on either 1967 lines, 1973 lines. I mean, there's so many problems with that not least because of the 
hundreds of thousands of illegal settlers in the West Bank. Um, so that, that's the two-state solution, but that's the one to which uh, Hotoveli says absolutely no. Of course, she also says absolutely no to the first solution as well. Remember that. So one and two are out. So that leaves three and four. Well, three is a continuation of the apartheid system that we've seen over the last 70 years. And four is the final solution, as you put it, which is the complete ethnic cleansing of all the indigenous people of Palestine. There aren't any other solutions. Right. So it's going to be, well, What? What? Are, so here's my question. Based on what we're seeing now, what we've witnessed over the last eight weeks, what? what where are we? One, two, three, or four? Well, uh, Sunak has come out again today in response to what Otoveli said and reaffirmed his commitment to a two-state solution. And uh, the State Department have been making the same noises, their commitment to a two-state solution. I've heard that uh, the UK has been secretly training officials in the West Bank to run a future Gaza administration. So much for democracy. I thought we were all for people electing their own leaders. But yeah. I've heard that uh, something, but but I don't, you know, we don't even know if that's going to be acceptable to the Israelis, most of whom seem to want the complete destruction or ethnic cleansing of Gaza. So the two-state solution is the one that the... Um, the West is still parroting. Uh, interestingly enough, they've only just started parroting it again now. They've been remarkably silent about it for the last 25 years, said virtually nothing, and certainly not done anything about it. But we've now come to a crunch point, which um, we've been predicting, Patrick, I've been predicting on the Sunday Wire for years, which is that if there is to be a two-state solution, and if the US State Department, the United Kingdom, for what it's worth, I don't think the Israelis really pay any attention whatsoever to anybody other than the, than the US and the UK. Uh, that's if they pay any attention to them at all. Um, if there is to be a two-state solution, given the known Israeli intransigence, then the only way that that can come about is by sanctions there's no other by putting enormous pressure on the israelis to accept the two-state solution they're not going to do it voluntarily so they're going to be pressured into it and what does pressuring the israeli government to do something they don't want to do equal patrick uh what what i think is interesting basil is that the official position of washington of tony blinken of Biden, of everybody, the politically correct thing is to say, we support a two-state solution, even though it's no longer viable because Israel's completely run it into the ground by building like 700,000 settlements or whatever they've done uh, during the Oslo peace process and then and then some uh, since the since Hamas was elected actually uh, in 2005, I believe, 2004, 2005, 2006, that period where they dismantled the settlements uh, in Gaza, illegally occupied uh, Palestinian territories, they ramped up settlement building in the West Bank, right through what they call Samaria and Judea, which they've also got other names for it, uh, the Israelis, but we'll call it the West Bank and the Jordan Valley. So, so they've gone and ramped up settlement building. That was intentional to undermine the Oslo Accords to change facts on the ground. Everybody, any normal person accepts that as the reality of the situation if they're not in denial uh, anyway, or if they're not sort of running cover for, for Israel uh, using talking points out of Tel Aviv on this. So that's the reality of the situation. So there there is no viable two-state solution. It could be an interim solution to eventually a one state a lot of people look at it that way basil but what we're seeing now is the no state solution or or just the israeli state literally ethnically cleanse the native palestinian population kill 20 or thirty thousand of them i think they've managed to 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 kill twenty two thousand as of this week uh, nobody wants to talk did you notice basil after the death toll of innocent unarmed 
Palestinians eclipsed 20,000. Did you notice how everyone stopped talking about the number of dead? I've, I've noticed this. It's almost been blacked out. Nobody wants to touch it because it's over 20,000. This is just beyond the pale at this point. Go ahead, Basil. Yeah, plus the 50,000 injured and mutilated, you know, dead in many ways are the lucky ones. I've seen, you know, children with their limbs sliced off who now have to go through life as paraplegics. What possible justification is there for that? Uh, also, the desecration of the Jabela Cemetery. I don't know if you saw that. No, the I didn't see that. Yeah, they desecrated a cemetery as well. Hmm. Uh, but just going back to these solutions before the line went down, uh, we talked about the two-state solution. As I said, the State Department reaffirming their supposed commitment to it. Though, I mean, really, these are very weak commitments because they're not actually prepared to do anything to bring it about. As you said, the facts on the ground have changed dramatically since the Oslo Accords in 93. Huge settlement building in the West Bank. Um, and what this means is that you know, actually bringing about a Palestinian state can only be achieved by putting enormous pressure on the Israelis to do so. That means, you know, turning off the US military budget, sanctions, as South Africa was sanctioned when it was an apartheid state. It was isolated and sanctioned. But, Patrick, crucially, what does sanctioning or even putting pressure of any kind on the Israeli government constitute. What is it? What's it called? I'll call it foreign policy and uh, no, no maximum pressure diplomacy. Called? Yeah, what, what what is it called by the Israelis? Uh, I don't know. Tell me, what do they call it? Anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism. Uh, yes. I should have known. Yes. So any is BDS. pressure at all. Any yeah. pressure at all on the Israelis is motivated entirely by irrational hatred, according to the Israelis, not sure. because we seek a just and fairer world. Yeah, that's a convenient excuse for basically not changing uh, anything. Exactly. exactly. So, yeah, very, uh, very regrettable at the moment because it, 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 that deadlock... And what you said is is not an exaggeration. This is why nobody has put any pressure um, initially on Israel. Part of it is because of the propaganda of October seventh and all the all these stories about beheaded babies and all the sort of various fake fabricated stories that all the news agencies and talk show hosts were repeating ad nauseum, even though there was no evidence for it. We were warning about this, but you know, there's all sorts of uh, cowboy. Uh, pundits out there there's plenty of them no shortage of them actually because uh, it's easy to not do journalism and just to like you know get information that looks a bit sensational and then just regurgitate it and everybody does the same thing without actually looking into the story themselves a lot of people call themselves journalists but they're actually not uh, they're just sort of carnival barkers there's too many of these people in the media these days but that whole chorus of fake news basically laid the groundwork for this revenge narrative. And the revenge narrative was Israel, gloves are off, they can go and bomb who they want, and any level of collateral damage is acceptable because of the, quote, horrors of what Hamas did on October 7th. And you have, talk about carnival barkers, I don't mean to go on a diatribe here, and this is digressing, just talking about Piers Morgan is a digression, let's be upfront. So Piers Morgan, his whole shtick for the last two months has been anybody he has on from the uh, who's criticizing Israel, he's, he'll hold them by the ear and say, "But do, do you do you condemn Hamas? Hamas is. Do you agree that they're a terrorist organization?" And this is just a ridiculous debate. Okay, and I'll I will sort of take the position of the UN or other world leaders around the around the planet and other journalists. Okay, my job as a journalist is not to. Uh, label Hamas as a terrorist group or anything, okay? That's the job of the U.S. government and the British government and the the few governments that have designated them a terrorist group. It's a political designation. It's not the designation that everybody in the, every country and government in the world has given them, 
Okay. Some people consider them to be the governing civil body uh, in Gaza. Okay. Others will call them Palestinian resistance factions, etc. But it's not an objective uh, description or it, it, it's a political designation. But because, but if you can if you can gaslight the conversation that Hamas is a terrorist group, therefore uh, they need to be destroyed by any means necessary and then equate them with ISIS, then you're basically giving the green light of what the United States did to Mosul, which is they flattened the whole city and they killed about 20,000 people. They, they only reported they killed uh, a few thousand, but the actual numbers, as we know, uh, and as multiple human rights groups and independent investigators have shown, they're much higher, plus the displacement, plus those missing. Okay, Raqqa in Syria, same thing. ISIS was semi-occupying uh, Raqqa. There was only a few hundred left in the end, and they carpet-bombed the entire city and killed untold number of civilians uh, in, in Fallujah, in Iraq. The United States government basically executed the same doctrine in iraq to so-called get you know the 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 terrorists okay the, israel has just played the same playbook that the united states has played multiple times that's all that's happened so this and this has been the problem with the conversation from the beginning and this is why it's important that we actually have real journalists uh clarifying the and putting framing the story correctly in reality rather than in a hysterical uh, hyperbolic uh, terms. So that, that that's what's gotten to where we are right now. And look at where we are right now. Look at it. Have you ever seen anything like this before? Have you seen, have you ever seen so many people trying to make excuses for how they have completely misread and completely mischaracterized this scene? I have seen so many workarounds and the mental gymnastics that people in the media and politics are performing right now, trying to somehow make like what they've been doing for the last two months as acceptable, to me is quite amazing. But I can't, I can't say, Basil, I'm surprised. I can't say I'm surprised. Over to you. So, I mean, first of all, the you know, point about Hamas being a terrorist organization, um, it's worth remembering that Israel was essentially founded by terrorist organizations, by the Ergun and the Stern Gang, and uh, subsequent Prime Minister and the Haganon. Fact, Prime Ministers. The, yeah, the, ha the Haganon became the IDF. That was a, a designated as a terrorist group before 1948. But go ahead. Yitzhak Shamir and Menachem Begin were both very active in terrorist activities, and Begin boasted about it. He was asked about how he felt about being the father of terrorism in the Middle East. And he replied by saying, what do you mean in the Middle East, in the whole world? So, you know. And Shimon Perez, uh, Shimon Perez, Ariel Sharon, and there's a few others. But you mentioned Yatsik Shamir and uh, Menachem Begin being uh, significant. Yeah. Uh, then, of course, you know, 1948, um, as a result of some shenanigans and essentially double dealing at the United Nations, uh, Israel donned the mantle of statehood, shall we say, went from being uh, a collection of terrorists seeking to impose their will on the indigenous population to having the trappings of statehood and the authority that goes with it. Um, uh, but the but now, the agreement the agreement for their statehood they never fulfilled uh that's which right. was the 1948 borders so it it, it, right. it was a it was a sham from the beginning but at that point the united states britain were coming out of world war ii and were conveniently looking the other way on this this yes. situation so yeah yes now um if palestine was a state if Gaza was a state, albeit a microstate, if it was recognized as a microstate, then Hamas would be the government slash army of that state. It's simply because they have the sub-state status of territories, the Palestinian territories. Then what you know, what are they? Do you know what uh, I mean? But, are they self-government? Having said that, uh, Hezbollah, 
holds, uh, if not the majority of seats in the Lebanese parliament, uh, near half, okay? So the, the UK government has designated the political party of Hezbollah as a terrorist organization, as well as the uh, the paramilitary wing, uh, right. the, the, defense, the defense forces of South Lebanon. So e even though Lebanon's a state, even though this is a legitimate political party, they're in charge of whole portfolios and departments and ministries in Lebanon. They're still, according to the UK government, a terrorist organization. Not for the French government. The French government don't. Do, do, do you know why, Basil? The French government do not want to label Hezbollah as a terrorist organization. Take a wild guess. Think about history. Well, well long-standing French relationship with the Lebanon. Beirut was the Paris of the Middle East, wasn't it? Well, that too. Plus, if they did that, they would have to then label uh, the French resistance in the Vichy France against the occupying Nazi right. German forces. The, the French resistance would have to then be called a terrorist organization. And of course, that wouldn't fly in France. Over to you. They were heroes. They were heroes. Yeah. The resistance were heroes, of course. So, um, you know, if we look at just look at the events of 2023, Prior to October the 7th, uh, getting on for 300 Palestinians had been killed in the West Bank, civilians. A lot of them children. There was that two-year-old boy shot dead. Do you remember seeing that? You know, um, you know, atrocity after atrocity, really, effectively, with the Israelis just having carte blanche to sort of kill, intimidate, and terrorize the native population of the West Bank with impunity. Uh, so, you know, if you take that as the starting point, then Hamas's reaction on October the 7th was to simply say, well, if you're going to kill dozens of our people, we're going to kill dozens of yours. Right? So, you know, one can see October the 7th as retaliation rather than initiation of hostilities. That would actually be a much more accurate framing. Yeah, that's correct. That would be the the sort of sane, uh, intelligent, adult way to frame it. Uh, unfortunately, that's not where a lot of people are at. So, uh, Basil, we're Rafa border crossing bombed again today uh, by the Israelis this morning. I believe they just bombed Rafa. Uh, we've seen we posted the footage on our uh, X Twitter timeline there and unbelievable so so the aid spanish the, and it, belgian prime ministers were at rafa this morning so i i take it they waited to get them out of the way they had a press conference there calling uh, sanchez pedro sanchez called for an immediate ceasefire the spanish have been the most vocal in their criticism of the israelis in recent weeks of all the major european nations so sanchez called for an immediate ceasefire again he left and they bombed. I mean, that gives you uh, an idea of the contempt in which the Israelis hold basically the rest of the world. Well, anybody that's telling them that they can't do what they want to do. Um, yes. So Kim Iverson uh, tweeted, uh, CNN was able to go into Gaza through Egypt without Israeli escorts. There are checkpoints, by the way, when you go from Egypt to South Gaza, Israel controls those nodes. Somehow they were let through by CNN. That itself was quite interesting that that was allowed to happen. So they're saying there's, quote, no safe place in Gaza and the number of injured children is astonishing, reporting that Israel's using dumb bombs. Those are un unguided, indiscriminate killers uh, and uh, Moabs and so forth. So that's what they're reporting. And so that pretty much kills the Israeli claims that they're doing everything they can to limit civilian casualties, but not just the Israeli claims. The John Kirby, White House spokesperson, I don't know if you saw that video, it was pretty shocking, uh, where he was saying, we're doing all we can to limit civilian casualties, looking at the numbers, and you're just like, oh, what sort of... I mean, who are you trying to kid? It's absolutely repulsive gaslighting, isn't it? Um, yeah. Biden apparently said, you know, at the weekend that... Uh, Israel's indiscriminate bombing was costing its support in the international community, which is perfectly true. It's just about the most sensible thing he said uh, since he became president. Um, yeah. uh, but he was then forced to walk that back to some extent. Mm -hmm. And Kirby's been walking that back. 
which is mm. i mean it's just absolutely bonkers because yeah. it's perfectly true um it is you it, know th that's that that's as close as you've got to you know a sort of from the executive of some admission that the, the policy they've been pursuing now um is completely wrong and and there's huge regret by the way and i, I might add that uh, a couple of dozen or a dozen biden white house staffers held a protest on the lawn of the white house last night protesting the u.s policy protesting what israel's doing to the palestinians so i mean that, that kind of a mutiny those are like you know, there'd be career enders in Washington. So you won't get a job in any administration after that. So like th to see these people that are all very sort of career motivated, uh, they want to have a career in the deep state, literally putting it on the line because on principle, Basil, th these, th by today's standards, this is, these are very extraordinary events. Go ahead. Absolutely unprecedented. I mean, there are sort of wildcat demonstrations all over the world almost every day locally here in the uk across the middle east you know demonstration after demonstration um and i i don't know perhaps you can tell me patrick are the israelis aware of quite on how unpopular they are with the general public around the world that massacring thousands and thousands of children and mutilating thousands more cannot be considered self-defense and all right thinking people would condemn it irrespective of the wider issues of october the 7th what happened before anything else you don't simply murder and mutilate thousands of people with impunity and present yourselves as the victim i mean how deluded are they yeah, the, so the the answer to your question is um, people who are uh, I'm I'm just going as well by what I've um, seen, read, and people that I have conversations with on Twitter Spaces, Israelis included, people who are in Israel, um, and even Israelis will acknowledge that is it's the most propagandized society in the world. The level of propaganda internally in Israel is just something we can't even fathom. It's intense that, because it's predicated on the idea that you have to convince Israel's in, Israelis in a very small country in tight quarters that, th that there's no real Palestinians on the other side of that wall. They're, they're just a few sort of ragtag Bedouins and whatnot. They don't have a real society. There's not like a few million people living there in squalor. Like you have to get that idea across. So that requires a whole lot of propaganda. So I would say the answer is no, not inside Israel, but people outside uh, who are not in the country who fled because they don't want to be serving in the military. Um, so they're in Costa Rica, Brooklyn, Goa, or wherever, um, they fully understand this. And, and if they're in the United States, they get it. Uh, and also if they're watching uh, in independent media. Um, and there's even people outside, and this is interesting too, there's Israelis outside of Israel that read English language Haaretz and also uh, Times of Israel. And then there's Israelis in Israel that only read the Hebrew press. And sometimes, in, in fact, ironically you're going to you're probably going to get more accurate reporting uh in the hebrew version of harats than you will he, he, hebrew language version than you would even in the english language in other words they you'll see you'll see facts in there like on october 7th that you won't read in the english language mainstream press uh in, in israel itself okay but these are all accessible by the internet now um internationally so i would say that the numbers are probably pretty similar to america you got 10 15 percent of the people that are awake uh, that are reality-based, and most of the other people are drifting in propaganda land. And I think it's probably very similar um, in, in Israel as well. And by the way, um, they're reporting that only 105 IDF troops were, have been killed so far in combat. Uh, ridiculous. If you if you look at the number, just look at the number of tanks that are reported to have been disabled or destroyed uh, by Palestinian resistance factions. It's like something like 90, over 100 tanks. Merkava tanks, these indestructible supposed Israeli tanks. So if that's how many uh, armored vehicles have been disabled, over hundreds, and also there's been downed helicopters and so forth, there, there can't be just 105 Israeli troops. So they've, if you consider the amount of fabricated reports that Israel's been putting out for eight weeks, I would think 
I would bet myself a hundred percent. They're absolutely lying about the amount of troops. And when I say lying, they're probably only reporting 10% or something like that, or 20% of what they, what's actually. So I, I think their casualties would be in the thousands too. That's my opinion based on what I've seen in the numbers, disabled vehicles and what the uh, opposition is saying. I would say it's in the thousands. Quite possibly. I mean, we've we've got absolutely no way of finding out. I don't. It's quite possible we never will, um, nope. unless we won't. Uh, unless we see demonstrations on the streets of Tel Aviv and you know Jerusalem from the families of the bereaved. Uh, it's only likely that if sufficient numbers of Israelis are killed to warrant some pushback. Say, hang on a minute. This, you know. We're losing our sons and daughters, you know, in an unwinnable war that that's likely to change. A couple of other points I want to make quickly. First of all, um, Ambassador Craig Murray, friend of ours, yours certainly. Um, he was at a 120 nation uh, meeting at the United Nations in Geneva uh, earlier this week. Um, and uh, the contributions about the Gaza situation, the contributions from member states were sort of largely predictable, according to their official positions. But he said, speaking in uh, to delegates and diplomats in the corridors, in the breakout areas, uh, he asked why none had invoked the genocide convention in the ICJ, not the ICC, the ICJ, the International right. Court of justice which is adjunct to the united nations and he said quite simply that while there is while delegates recognize that there is a prima facie case for describing what's been going on over the last couple of months as genocide with genocidal intent overtly expressed by numerous israeli representatives if uh they were to press that charge and make it stick then the likes of biden sunak von der leyen etc all also become liable slash potentially guilty of that charge yep because they have aided and abetted it so the reason why no, none of the countries, this has been talked about before, Ron Anz was talking about this, the reason why none of these countries that are calling out the Israelis and saying like, you know, Erdogan and some of the Middle East countries, South American countries, why they're not pressing ahead at the ICJ is because it would mean that um, basically the whole leadership of the West is also guilty of genocide and that obviously would have you know international ramifications of earthquake proportions well the, the, the there's been we had sam husseini's great journalist state department correspondent on monday we were talking about this issue basil and i think there's going to be movement on this and not least of all, all these countries are signatories to the treaty it's been ratified by the legislature it's part of the law of the land domestically i think i think where it's going to come from basil on this will be probably a BRICS country somebody who, who doesn't have a genocide on their resume uh like a brazil uh perhaps or a south yes. africa for instance i mean that's to me that's the hope yes Once the south africans yeah the yeah, south africans have been arguably the most vocal in their condemnation of what's going on the South Africans and the Colombians, South America, and, and out of out of Europe, uh, could be a country like Switzerland, could be Belgium, could be some of these other more sympathetic yeah. European countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you know who used to lead on this? Basel was Scandinavia. Uh, used to yes. always. What happened to them? They've been completely co-opted, bought and paid for. The Wallenberg Foundation and the whole investor AB, you know, Wallenberg Empire in Sweden, that includes Ericsson, Saab, all the shoulder-mounted missiles and all that. Um, <laughs> they're completely uh, pro-Zionist. Uh, I think the Wallenberg family, they they fund a lot of international Zionist efforts. So uh, that's where, and that's where the power is in Scandinavia. Okay, that's behind the Nobel Prize and all the all the. That's the power structure of of, uh, of Scandinavia. It's not going to happen. From it's not going to come from Norway. 
It's not going to no. come from Sweden. This is going to have to come from somewhere else. Spain Although also, possibly Spain yeah, as well. Possibly. Although those countries do still have very worthy NGOs, you know, um, the uh, refugee organizations from Norway and, and what have you are some of those most active in supporting the Palestinians in terms of medical aid and what have you. Uh, I just want to pivot finally to uh, one other subject. Uh, Quickly, related. we just got a, got a minute and a half left. Go for it. Oh, please. it's our old friend. It's our old friend, Tony Blair. And uh, I'm pleased to say that the Alba Party, which is a sort of splinter group from the Scottish National Party, um, they have two MPs, one of whom is Neil Harvey. And he has said that Tony Blair should be stripped of his knighthood as a result of his decision to take the UK to war in Iraq. He claimed declassified documents, this is the significant development, from 1998 and released now under the 25-year rule, show that Blair was determined to take military action contrary to legal advice. Speaking during a debate on UK military action in Iraq, Harvey said, how can it be that a prime minister who prosecuted two wars against lawful advice and instruction has been rewarded with a knighthood? This is an insult to every single life lost, and it should be withdrawn forthwith and a path to full justice secured. Governments should not lie to go to war, and the truth must now be told. Is that the SMP? Is, is that SMP? Alba Party, which is Alba. effectively... Yeah, splinter group. They broke away from the SNP. Oh, that was yeah. was okay. That was is Alex Salmon's breakaway party. Yeah, uh, I yeah, believe I it so, is. Yeah. Yes, Alex okay. Salmon. Okay, yes, I know now. I remember the Alba party. They did actually literally break off from the SNP. So yeah, yeah interesting. Well, uh, maybe another opportunity to get Tony Blair in the dock, Basil. I know that a lot of people would like to see that happen. Um, justice be done one day. We hope. We live in hope. We do indeed. You never know. But um, I, I I like his slightly disingenuous comment. How can it be that a prime minister who prosecuted two wars against legal advice and instruction has been rewarded with a knighthood and about a hundred million pounds as well, Patrick? Yeah. Yeah. And he various sinecures. Yeah. And, and his Middle Eastern uh, peace uh, process office or whatever, Tony Blair and Associates in Jerusalem. He did very well out of all these wars. Interesting, isn't it? A few, a few what a weeks, career. A few weeks ago, exactly. A few weeks ago, Netanyahu was talking about parachuting him into Run Gaza or something. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, I can't think of anything That's better. It's all gone that, quiet. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Basil Valentine, thank you for joining us on TNT this week. Thank you, Patrick. Great analysis, as usual, from Mr. Valentine. But uh, right now, we're going to go to the top of the hour news headlines here. TNT, today's news talk. I'm Patrick Kennison, your host. When we come back, we'll pick up the increasingly precarious Ukrainian situation in Washington. Where's the money going to come from? Well, we got a clue. All this and more on the other side. Stay right there. <laughs>